Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. We're in 1 Peter 1, and I'm going to be reading this morning. It will come up on the screen. Well, it's trying to somewhere. We will come on the screen in the New King James Version. I really felt I wanted to read from the New King James today. Just felt that it had something or an extra element as to what I wanted to say. Uh, Normally I would speak from the NIV, but I'm going to just start this first text from the New King James. So if you haven't got a New King James, please do look on the screen. 1 Peter 1. And three, verse three, Peter says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled And that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Then if you skip to verse 13, it says this, Peter says, therefore, in other words, in light of, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Amen. Amen. A lot to say there. 
but an amazing scripture. Peter here, we know Peter from the Bible. He encourages around 30 years after the death of Jesus. He's encouraging the people who read this. And I believe he's encouraging us today. Of something that I want to encourage you with today. Is that sometimes we look at the resurrection. We look at Easter. And we look at it as this some kind of past event. That we remember when we got saved. If you've given your life to Jesus. You remember that moment where you gave your life to Jesus. And it was an, an amazing time. And it's almost as though Peter here wants to encourage the believers who are reading this to say, I want you to keep on persevering in your hope because salvation, the saving of your souls, the total salvation is going to come one day. You're going to see Jesus for who he really is. Do you know what? I've been thinking about this recently. I am excited. I don't know about you. I'm excited that one day I'm going to meet Jesus. I've not seen him personally. I've not physically seen him. You know, I I hear people sometimes, they say, some prophets, they say, I've seen Jesus and I've been in a meeting and I saw Jesus. I I ain't seen him. Thank God that there are some people who do seem to have these visions, but I, I wish I had one. But I ain't seen Jesus physically, but I know by his spirit that he lives inside of me. So today, by the way, if you're saying sometimes I'm hearing some prophets sometimes say, oh, I see angels, I see Jesus, I don't see a thing. Don't worry, I ain't seen him either. It's fine. We can all relax. You know, sometimes we're thinking, if I see, am I as spiritual as that person? Do I need to do a little bit more praying? Then I might start seeing angels. Listen to me. The most thing we need to do is sometimes, blessed are those who have not seen. They still believe in Jesus. And I want to say to you today that if you've not seen anything, it doesn't matter. It's what's inside. The Bible says he sets eternity in our hearts. He puts the Holy Spirit inside of us. I'm thankful of that, that it's a home for the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you today. Peter says here, he's encouraging approximately 30 years on. He's saying to the people, listen, there's some of you who would have seen Jesus die and resurrected. There were probably some people who saw firsthand. There were probably some people who didn't. But he's saying, listen, whether you've seen or you've not, I want to encourage you, you've got to press on. Why? Because actually... The resurrection is not just a moment in history. It calls you to a life where you must persevere. Because one day you will receive the total salvation. I want to say to you today, you've not received the total salvation. We're in the preliminary stages. Yes, we've been saved. But one day we will receive it when we see him face to face. The total salvation. Everything he has for us. It will all come clear. I'm thankful one day we'll go to heaven. There'll be no more meetings and technology going wrong. And things going wrong. When we're in heaven, we'll just worship the king. One day we will see him for who he is. So what is the resurrection? What after that resurrection, 2,000 years on, we left right now? How do we live? Do we look back at that moment? I believe the resurrection calls us to action. It calls us to a response to what Jesus wants to do in every believer's life. It's not like, oh, we're going to look back and that's what he did for me. And I'm just going to hang on and wait and see what happens now. Jesus calls us to action From his resurrection, verse 3 says, we've been born into a new hope. In other words, he gives you a hope for the future. Verse 4 says, we have an inheritance in heaven. It can't be spoilt. It's reserved in heaven for you. 
You know, the other day I was, I'm into cycling and I've got, I love collecting bikes. I've got a series of different bikes and I love different bikes. I've always loved them since I was a young lad. And um, one thing, I, I got a bike just a few years ago and I treated myself to this bike. And when I got it, it had a beautiful white seat on it. And the design, I love the design of it. But within about six months, I had it in the shed. And this thing was getting moldy. And I was really disappointed because I'd spent the money on this bike. Within six months, the thing gets moldy. Now this beautiful white leather seat starting to look deteriorated. So what I did is I thought, it, it was just grating me. Every time I got the bike, everything else looked okay except this. So I went on eBay and I bought myself. You can get everything on eBay. It's amazing what people pay for things on eBay. I sold something the other day, and I think I sold it more for what I bought it for. And I went on eBay, and I bought myself another seat of the same design in black, just to have in the shed the knowledge of having something that I could use and change at any time. So I thought, I'm, I'm so upset this thing's deteriorated, but I'm going I'm to have this brand new seat ready so that when I feel it's time, I'm going to put the new one on so it looks new again. So I've kept this black seat in the shed for now, nearly a year and a half. The other day I went in, I thought, I'm going to have a look at my little black seat I bought. I might change it now so it looks new again. So I opened the box where it was sent from eBay and I take the wrapping out. And lo and behold, I take this black seat out and it's covered in mold. It's now deteriorating in the same way. The thing hasn't been used yet. And I'm looking at this seat and thinking, why is it? I've, I've kept it in the wrapping But the elements, the rain, the moisture got into the box and began to make this seat moldy. And what I realized is as much as I tried to protect things on earth, as much as I tried to keep things that are new, they're never going to reserve in the elements that are around, the moisture and the temperature and the atmosphere. But Jesus says to us today, or if he was here, he would say to you, that your salvation is in heaven. It is locked away. It is preserved for you and it will not spoil. I want to tell you today that whether you got saved 30 years ago, 20 years ago, last year, whenever you gave your life to Jesus, whether you feel rubbish inside sometimes, there is an inheritance in heaven stored for you since the moment you received him. And he says it's here and it is not spoiled. I'm excited by that. The problem is we deteriorate. We feel a little bit poor sometimes. I feel a little bit moldy sometimes. I don't know about you. Emma would say, I look a bit moldy sometimes. But I feel a bit like that sometimes. But actually, it's not about how we feel or how we're looking. Because one day we're going to receive an amazing body. Yeah, I can't wait. But the inheritance is stored for us. Do you know what? When Jesus rose from the dead... It was the catalyst for every believer to be called into an action. Not to be put off by the things that happen to us and what we feel like. Because what we're doing is we're focusing on the race, the prize ahead. Okay? A few years ago, my, my granddaddy was a believer. He used to play the piano in worship since I was born. I'd see him play the piano. And, and, I, and I had the privilege at Easter time several years ago just to go and see him in his home. Days before he died. And I said to my granddad, my granddad, I didn't even know I was about to go into ministry because I'd had to keep it a secret because we'd not even told the church yet. So I'm sat with my granddad and the biggest desire I wanted to do is just say, granddad, do you realize I've been called to minister? Because I knew he'd be really happy. And I just thought, I'm going to ask my granddad one thing before because I knew he could die at any moment. 
I said, Grandad, I said, tell me the one thing that you'd encourage me. The best scripture you've ever known. One thing that encourages you. And he said this, John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. When he said that to me, it hit me hard. I've never forgot it to this day. And I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. That Jesus, no matter what circumstances, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. When we saw an incident happen early today, we think, what's going on? It rocks our world sometimes. But listen, we must trust in the prize. The resurrection. The title of the message today is this, Resurrection Reactions. How do we react to his resurrection? Do we just look back at it as an event? Or do we say, I'm going to respond to what he's calling me to? In Romans 6 verse 4, in the New King James, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. In other words, you can have a newness of life to walk in from the resurrection. I love this. The message version, version puts it like this. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace, sovereign country. Wow, I love that. You see, our lives should be a light bulb, a constant Light bulb, blazing for Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had this. I have it a lot. Emma comes to me. Anytime there's a light bulb gone in the house, she says, this light bulb's gone. They're forever going. And sometimes I've, I'll go to the shop and buy one, but actually sometimes the light bulb ain't gone. you just got to secure it back in place. The power's there, but sometimes in our Christian lives, we can come a little bit unsecure. So the light ain't showing, and we're saying, oh, you know, I've lost, I've lost my salvation. I've lost this power. I've lost the ability. Jesus is not for me anymore. I've, I've let him down. But I want to say there's a word for someone today that some, some people are just got to re-secure the light bulb again. you just got to re-secure what he's done for you. So how does Peter encourage us to keep our faith secure How should we react? Well, there's a few points I want to bring today. Number one is this. We have got to, this is what Peter says, from the resurrection, you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. Okay? You see, if you want to follow Jesus, you don't just follow him and say, I'm going to do the things he did and just enjoy myself. Jesus says, follow me. In other words, he says, we have to pick up our cross and follow him. He went to the grave, but then he lived in that resurrection life. Fix your mind on Jesus. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Strange little quote, isn't it? Gird up the loins of your mind. Then it says, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know what this means, but to gird up the loins is a terminology used throughout the Bible. And you'll see it several times, but it means for someone, I think we've got a picture just here, of someone who is in their tunic clothing. There's the illustration. Their tunic clothing. And if they want to go to battle, they need to gird up their loins by taking the fabric, bringing it through their legs and tying it into their belt. To gird up their loins means they're prepared for action. They're ready for action. So in other words, if you've got your, your tunic is flowing, the Bible many times uses this illustration to show someone who is ready for battle, ready to do something. And the moment Peter says that you live in this resurrection lifestyle and you persevere, you must be always ready for action. Okay? It's not something that's in the past. You and your lives are going to be ready. Fix your mind. Because it says not gird up the loins of your tunic. Because not, we're not all in tunics today. It says gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, the same principle that he's trying to get across here is for your mind. And what does that mean for us today? It means this. That some of us in our minds have got things just dangling, loose things. Some things that need dealing with that get in the way. You see, if you go into battle like the man on the left, you're going to go with restriction. You're going to go with something in the way. You're not going to be able to fight the battle as well. What Peter's saying is this. If you want to focus on the life of Jesus, living that lifestyle, you must gird up. You must pick up the things in your life and sort the clutter in your mind. Get things dealt with. Be prepared for action. In other words, some of us have got some things in our mind that are loose. I believe some of us need today to tie up the loose ends. Because the loose ends sometimes get in the way. And if they get in the way, then you're not clear. To fix your mind on Jesus. The NLT says, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. That's what the NLT says. Prepare your minds for action. If you look in the dictionary, it says to gird up the loins means this. Prepare and strengthen oneself for future actions. If you look in 1 Kings 18, 46, you'll see the story of Elijah. He's just been up Mount Carmel, and he's been dealing with the prophets of Baal, and he's been dealing with this major situation of calling down fire from heaven to prove who God is. And it says this, the story is that after that event, he's been waiting for three years for the drought. This little cloud comes, this answer to prayer. And he says to Ahab, he says, you better get back to Jezreel. And tell them what's happened because God has answered this prayer. And then the next moment it talks and says here, verse 46, The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tooking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. If you read different versions of that, you'll see that what it's describing is, I don't know about you, but if you've seen a chariot go fast, I'm not sure you could run as fast as a chariot. But it says that God gave him the power and ability to run faster than a chariot. Come on. I'd love that, wouldn't you? I'd I'd enter the Olympics if I could do that. Imagine that. Medals. 
In other words, he trusts God. This is a person who's trusted God for this, this cloud to come. Now he trusts God and he, he, he sends Ahab on his way. He says, you better go and tell them. But then he believes God and he gives him the ability to run faster than chariot. In other words, I believe if you clear things and sort things out in your mind, you focus on Jesus, you will do great and amazing things above and beyond what you think you can do. You'll go faster than some chariots. You'll achieve more. You'll achieve more in your life than if you try to just have Jesus as a bit of an add-on app. Some of us need to just say, Jesus, you're no longer this little add-on. You are everything to me. Everything. Everything. Elijah fixed his focus on God. So do we. We need to correct those parts of our mind, those thinking that are wrong. Deal with these things and gird up the loins of our mind. Romans 12 verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Some of us sometimes, I don't know what things in your mind you're dealing with in the week. You're saying, well, Phil, I've got some problems, I've got some troubles, and when I get those things sorted, then I will focus on Jesus. Then I will give him my all. Listen to me, if you speak like that, you'll be speaking like that for the rest of your life. I'm, I guarantee you, I've said it myself, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to spend more time doing this. I'm going to give you more time of prayer. I'm going to spend more time, about, and sometimes we promise God, and actually we know we're not going to fulfill it. And some of us sometimes have got to make a decision. I'll tell you the best decision you can do in response, in reaction to his resurrection today. He said, Jesus, I'm fixing my eyes on you. Even though I can't physically see you, I'm going to gird up the loins of my mind. I'm going to take all this stuff that's hanging and loose in my mind. And I'm going to say, I am going to be focused on you. I can't see you. You're not here, but I can feel you. I'm going to focus on you. It's the best thing you can do. Today, I was watching a program the other night, a documentary on taxi drivers. No, I'm not going to become a taxi driver. But I was watching a documentary on London taxi drivers training to take the test to be able to go around London and drive a car. And it says that they have to go through a a teaching or a book called the knowledge book for three to four years to learn the routes and the roads in London. Better for them than me. And I watched these people who passionately went in week, week in, week out, every day into this center to have the test. They'd sit there nervously answering these questions. They'd say this, you've got to get to Buckingham, from Buckingham Palace to Finsbury Park or wherever. Tell us every single road that you have to turn. So this person would do it all in their minds. And I'm just thinking, why don't you just give the poor guy a sat-nav? I mean, my sat now is pretty cool. What is the problem here? Is people not catching up here? I mean, the iPhone's got a decent sat-nav program, and all you're doing is training for four years. What my sat-nav can do. See, the difference is this. These people were passionate. When they passed the test, they broke into tears. Why? They broke into tears and said, I can't believe. I mean, they were hanging around, and this, this man who was doing the test, they were hanging around there saying, I, I can't believe what I've done. I'm so thankful that I've, I've done this, and I've achieved it for my family. 
all the, 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 the sweat and effort I've given into learning this knowledge. So I know every single street. My mind has been so focused. There's a particular area in their brain that is bigger than anyone else's generally. Because they've trained that part of their brain to learn these things. They were passionate. See, the difference is this. You give a person a sat-nav, the sat-nav's not always going to tell you the best direction to go. It's just going to choose what it thinks is best. But they will know the streets inside out. They will know the direction. They will be clear in thought. And they will have good character because they learned it as well. The same is called for us. Jesus is saying, I'm not looking for you to have some sat-nav Christianity where you just stick a sat-nav in and you just... Just listen and just let someone tell you what to do. I want you to gird up the loins of your mind, focus on me, train your brain by transforming your mind to be in line with the word of God. What does it take? Passion. What does it take? Commitment and focus on wanting to do this. Some of us just want to live that sat-nav Christianity. Well, I don't need that. I just want someone just to tell me what to do. I'm going to just show up at church every week and someone just kind of guide me and I'll, I'll live like I want the rest of the week. But Jesus, I want you to change everything in your mind. Be focused. Get into the word of God. The next thing, number two, is this, that we need to flee from temptation. You see, some people think this whole scripture is about being holy. Why? Because he's holy. Okay, so we, we preach it often here that I believe in the holiness of God. In our lives, we should be committed to wanting to live holy lifestyles. I've said it many times. People sometimes, they go to church and they think, well, I'm just going to play the holy thing for Sunday and then I'm going to be where I want to be the rest of the week. You see, I'll, I mean, how many times when I was younger, I saw the same people come to the front and get saved every week. They were out here every week getting saved again. Why? Because they, they knew they'd done things wrong. But we need to be different. The, the front is not what it's all about. It's not about coming to the front and getting the salvation every week. Jesus wants us to be focused on him, but also to flee from sin. You see, Peter was committed into telling these people this. He wanted them to see that when the resurrections happened, yes, you've got some hope to live for, but you need to watch yourself. Okay, He says this, 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You see, Peter realized that temptation is an issue. I don't know about you, but... I think if we ask now for a call out to the front, anyone come to the front who gets tempted? If you stay in your seat, you've got a problem. Every one of us are tempted by things. Every one of us are tempted. You see, there's nothing wrong with temptation. It's whether you take the temptation further. Every one of us, every single day, listen to me, if you're saying, oh, I don't feel the same Christian as what I felt when I gave my life to Jesus because I've been so tempted, I've been having temptive thoughts. I want to tell you, every single person is in this room. If you were to ask people today, you'd be shocked by what they're tempted with. Listen, let's be real. But the thing is this, it's how we deal with temptation. 
And he realizes, Peter, that people who are living the resurrection life, they're not just some perfect being. They're people who are dealing with temptation and sin that they need to be obedient as children. He says, don't conform yourselves, verse 14, to the former lusts as in your ignorance. I want to just show you something here because the word ignorance hit me hard when I saw it. Many of you, if you're old enough, will recognize this campaign that happened in 1987. I was a young boy then. I was nine years old, I think. People are trying to work out my age now. I remember this campaign. This campaign was for AIDS. In 1987, in, in the UK, was, this campaign was sent out to, to help people to avoid this sexually transmitted disease that was a killer at the time. And I remember this leaflet coming through the post in our house. AIDS, don't die of ignorance. I remember the advert on TV. They'd have this, this gravestone being chiseled with the word AIDS. And it was one of this controversial advert that people said they're pushing the boundaries. And do you know what? When this leaflet came through the door, I remember saying to my mum, because it was such a striking leaflet, I said, Mum, will you tell me what is ignorance? She said, you don't need to know about this. I was only nine. I said, Mum, I want to know. I want Every time when your mum tells you not to do something, you want to do it. You want to find out more. So I'm like, Mum, where's the leaflet? And I remember asking my mum, Mum, I want to know what's ignorance. I don't want to die of ignorance. Is it a disease? Is it something? How can you catch ignorance? She said, don't worry about it, son. You'll learn one day. I said, mum, I want to know what is ignorance. This looks a really serious leaflet. It's telling me I don't know what AIDS is. I don't know what it stands for. But it says, don't die of ignorance. I've had colds. I've had all these other things. But what is ignorance? You see, Peter says here, don't conform yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. In other words, ignorance is a killer. It is a killer because if we ignore sin, it will rob us of our lives. There is an inheritance in heaven, but I'm a great believer that we can't just live our lives the way we want to. We can't just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept this gift, Jesus, that you've given me for dying on the cross. And I'm just going to live my life the way I want to. And I'm just going to ignore the sins because you dealt with it all. Ignorance is a killer. It was then and it is now. Sin is just as much of a killer, if not more, as AIDS. AIDS was this major thing that if people caught it, they could potentially die. And I want to tell you today that sin in our lives is crucial that we deal with sin. It's crucial. James 1 verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
What it says here is that temptation, there's this opportunity to stop it before it conceives. And the desire comes and then birth comes into this problem. Then when something fully grows, I can't believe my son. I remember the day when I held him in my arms. He'd just been born. I looked into his little eyes. He didn't say anything to me. Now he says a lot to me. And I held him and looked at him. I'll never forget that moment. If you've had children, you'll remember looking into their eyes. And I looked into his eyes and thought, I can't believe this gift. How tiny he was. Now he's massive. (laughs) He doesn't tidy his bedroom. He answers me back. The same glint's not always in his eye. But I love him still. But do you know what what the Bible's describing here is it's like, It's like pregnancy, it's like birth. He's saying when something's conceived, when you allow, if you ignore sin, what happens is it conceives, then it grows, it gives birth, then it starts to grow and get bigger and bigger until it gets too big for us to deal with. Yesterday, Emma said to me, she goes, I I had a little relaxing moment in the afternoon. I thought, I'm just going to sit down for an hour. How many of you know you can never sit down in the house? I sat down, she said, there's some gardening to do. And I looked out in the garden. I looked out in the garden, and on the roof of our garage, we've got a ton of ivy that had grown up. I must have cut this ivy about, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And this thing has just grown rapidly up the side of the garage. It took me five hours to remove it. I was in agony afterwards, while Emma just spectated and told me I missed a bit. I'm only joking. She raked up a few things at the end. But I was there working on this, this ivy. What I couldn't believe is I was ripping the ivy off the wall. And I realized this ivy that was all green at the top, the roots were thicker at the bottom. The more I went to the bottom, they were thick. I was trying to shovel these things out. I couldn't remove them. I'm ripping these big, huge roots out. That ivy has been growing up the garage for years. I've been looking at it thinking I'll do it one day, but I've ignored it. The problem is, if I'd have... If I left it for much longer, it would have covered the whole garage. The roots would have got thicker. Ignorance is a killer. You see, it's much better if when I did it the first time, if I'd have just watched it and kept it at bay. But what I did is I cut it once and left it for years. Then it grew. And the work yesterday was hard work. Some of us in our lives, if we ignore sin, you'll deal with the consequences later. It will be much harder to pull out some of the roots because you let things fully grow. I put here that ignorance to sin is the greatest threat or the crucial threat to our obedience to God and the temporary mask to a deadly consequence. Say that again, ignorance to sin is the crucial threat to our obedience to God and the temporary mask to a deadly consequence. Some of us, sometimes we ignore, and then the consequences we don't obey God. The deadly consequences is that we let sin grow. When it's fully grown, it easily entangles us. Some of us need to keep these things. But how do we stop this temptation when there's things in our lives? And some of you know now you're thinking, I, I know the things that are in my life that I can't stop doing. I need to get them out. You see, Joseph, what I find interesting in sexual temptation, one of the things that he does is he flees from the scene. There's, there's a lot of things in the Bible talks about sin, but sexual sin you will find the Bible talks about fleeing. Get out of there. 
Genesis 39, 11, it says, One day Joseph went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him, Potiphar's wife that is, by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Listen to me. There are people here. It's not just men. It's women as well. Sometimes when you have temptation in front of your eyes to sexually sin, When you want to do things and you think no one's going to see this. And it's not just Potiphar's wife. It's temptation in pornography. It's temptation in the things that you look at each day. There are things in our lives. And the Bible says this, that you've got to flee. Men and women, if there are some people today said to you, even though we're married, even though we're in certain relationships, someone said, come to bed with me. In that moment, in this moment, what do you do? Flee. The enemy is waiting for that attack. You see, it's that moment when temptation comes. How do you respond? Get out of there. Get out of the house. I've met people in ministry who've told me about things that they've been tempted with at the moment. And listen, it's not just... People, when they're in high up in ministry, have temptations. Why? Because the enemy wants to cripple them. To remove their ministry. The more you do for God, the more you're going to find yourself in positions where the enemy is going to try and rob you of that. And it's not because it's about your ministry. It's because about the effect for the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And some of us, sometimes, we can easily let ourselves go. The problem is when you let yourself go, then you feel guilty. Oh, I've messed everything up. Where's my inheritance now? Well, the truth is this. The Bible says our inheritance is in heaven. We need to repent, turn from our sin, turn the other way, and say, Jesus, I'm looking to you. I'm fixing my eyes on you. I'm fleeing from temptation. I'm fleeing from this sin that's crippling me. And I'm going to cut the roots of it so it doesn't grow any longer. Flee from the scene. And number three, finally, we need to focus on what matters. In light of Christ's resurrection, Peter calls us to remember the true cost of redemption. I find it really interesting that Peter then goes on to talk about the blood of Jesus. He's basically saying to the people, listen, do you realize it's because of Jesus' blood that you're forgiven? It's nothing else. It's not because of things that you've achieved or done. It's not because of anything else other than Jesus. 1 Peter 1 verse 17 says, Conduct yourselves throughout this time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. I want to tell you today that freedom can only be found in Jesus. In other words, Peter says this, look, stop trying to make your Christianity about religion. Stop trying to make your Christianity about a set of laws that you need to do. You've got to come back to the fundamental point of the whole thing. That living the resurrection lifestyle is actually about the cross. You see, some people live the resurrection lifestyle and forget the blood of Jesus. They both work hand in hand together. You see, you wouldn't have a resurrection if it wasn't for the sacrifice. 
We can't forget the blood of Jesus. We can't not preach the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus needs to be the center. It needs to be everything we speak about. Because that is the power of God. When he died on the cross for you. His blood was shed for you. And the Bible says it wasn't. Some of us say well I don't know if Jesus is the son of God. The Bible tells us it's God's blood that was shed. God's very own blood. When Jesus came. It was God incarnate. Hanging upon that cross for every one of us. Looking at us, at humanity to come. Knowing that his price of his blood would pay, would purchase and ransom the lives of many. His blood still saves today. His blood still touches the lives. It heals the sick. You know, next week when we pray for the sick on the streets, next week when we have our healing meetings here, I'm guaranteeing you, you're going to see some amazing things. Why do I know that? Because Jesus is preached here. The power of the blood is preached here. Why? Because we believe it. It is the truth. It is the way. And listen, the blood of Jesus has enough to cover everyone's sin here. You see, whatever we've done wrong, whatever we feel bad about inside, Jesus says today, my blood covers all sin. All sin. I'm so excited by that. His freedom comes in his blood. Nothing else can cleanse our sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. The other day I ordered a new helmet for Jacob's bike. He'd just got a bike and... I got him a new helmet, and in the box when it came, there was a little sticker inside. And this sticker inside, it said, you had to fill in the details. His name, his parents' address, and his phone number. So I, writ- I wrote these things inside, just in case he has a, an accident. And the next question at the bottom said this, his blood type. He said, write his blood type. And I knew his blood type, because his blood type is aresis negative reason by it being is both myself and emma are both aresis negative so i believe he's aresis negative which is actually a, a rare blood type so if anyone's aresis negative here please give us your name after and then we know in case we ever need it you never know when it might come in handy but i wrote this uh, this thing and filled it in and i realized i thought he's actually When an accident happens, if anything happens, they need to know that blood so that they can give him any blood he needs. Listen to me today. There is a rare type of blood that no one else can offer you. It is the blood of Jesus. It is the blood that was sacrificed on the cross. It's not aresis negative. It is a blood that is unique. It is a blood that no other man or woman can offer. No one else can offer you this blood. There is nothing that can cover your sins other than the blood of Jesus and listen to me today the one thing you need to do is in your life accept Jesus as your personal savior receive him all of your life give him everything you are and say I want your blood you see the people the children of Israel when they put the blood on the doorposts Why did they do that? Because they knew there was something important. God needed to see that they chose to put the blood there. And look at some of us sometimes are saying, oh, but there's other things I need to do in life. There's other things I'm focused on. Jesus says, just look to me. I am the one who can forgive you. It's my blood. 
It is the rarest blood type because not many people find it. He says there's a narrow way and a wide way. See, the narrow way is the one where people recognize this blood is unique. It is different. It is not a sacrifice of any man. It is the sacrifice of the Son of God. I want to tell you today, what's inside your helmet? The Bible says that we need to put on the helmet of salvation. What's written inside your helmet? Do you say, I'm going to put on today my life despite the difficulties, the challenges, the perseverance, the persecution, the problems? I'm going to stick on this helmet of salvation. And inside my helmet, yeah, it's got my details, this is who I am, but it's got the blood type and it says, I'm receiving the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that gives me my salvation. Or are you putting on your, your own helmet? Your, your helmet that says, this is my own protection. This is what I'm going to do in my life. There's nothing written on the blood bit because you, you don't acknowledge the need for the blood. The Bible says that you need to put on the helmet of salvation. You can only put the helmet of salvation on if you receive Jesus. And I'll ask you today, what's written inside your helmet? If you were to die today and there's no one else could save you, if an ambulance came today and they took off the helmet, you couldn't speak, what's written inside your helmet in your life? Does it say, I'm a believer in Jesus? I ain't seen him, but I believe in him. I believe that his blood will cover me. Because some of us might not get the opportunity to speak again. Some of us might not have the opportunity to make another decision again. But I really believe that Jesus wants us to realize the seriousness today. That when we live in resurrection lifestyle, it's not about a past event. It's not about just saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that. It's about saying, I'm going to respond. I'm going to react. I'm going to live this lifestyle. I'm not going to ignore sin. I'm going to move forward knowing that I've chosen Jesus Christ. We sing that song, I've decided to follow Jesus. I want to ask today, have you really decided to follow him? Are you a fan of him or are you a follower? You can be a fan of someone or a follower. Are you a fan or a follower? Have you written his name inside your helmet? Let's stand. Hallelujah. Revelation twelve eleven. It says this is the believers that they will triumph over the accuser, over Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. See, I, I see that in Revelation and I think, I want to be there whether I die or whether I, whatever happens to me, I want to be the one who says, I overcome by my testimony, by the blood of the Lamb. I realize that His blood is everything to me. Oswald Chambers said this, the center of salvation is the cross of Jesus. And the reason it's so easy to obtain salvation is because it costs God so much. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.